and it's an honor to have them tonight. Amen. Is it all right we hear the word just for a few minutes before we leave tonight? I want you to get your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let me make a few announcements tonight. Uh, we've already ha heard it mentioned, Memorial Day event on the 29th uh, of May, which is a mem on Memorial Day, and at Vernon Park. Now, this is Dr. Murphy. Some of the folks here know. In fact, Sister Phyllis, I believe, is some of her family members, the Murphins, is, or John's, John's family. I knew it was somebody in the Stevens family. John's family is the, Mur the, the uh, Dr. Murphy is in John's family. And uh, he's a part of this uh, Memorial Day event every year at Vernon uh, Park, and he's become very involved in that. Uh, I'll be speaking at that that day. It's about uh, history and about our, our freedom as, as uh, citizens of this great nation. And that'll begin at 12 o'clock. Now, he's got a potluck dinner, and he said he's got food for 600 people. And it's fried chicken and hamburgers and hot dogs and, and all kind of good food. Is it fried chicken or did I miss it? It's on this, okay. Fried chicken, pulled pork, hamburgers and drinks are provided. Just bring a side dish or a dessert and a lawn chair. So, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to come out on Memorial Day, that'll be a great time. We'll have a wonderful, wonderful time. Be sure and pray for uh, also, Elva and her family, uh, David Woodward's uh, funeral service will be tomorrow at 11 o'clock, so be in prayer for them that the Lord will be with them. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, Brother Kyle did a tremendous job in the last three weeks talking about ordinary revival. Amen. The things that happened in the book of Acts didn't happen in a crusade. They happened in ordinary people taking the gospel and turning their world upside down. And in his last session, he talked about, uh, we talked about in the last couple sessions, fear and love, and he talked about we're in the world and not of the world. Everybody say that I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. All right, we're going to continue that in the next few weeks. First John 2, 15, love not the world. Everybody say the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Everybody say the things in the world. Notice there's two things you're not to get affectionate with, and that's the world, nor the things in the world. If any man love the world, the first one mentioned, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of, not of the Father. Everybody say, not of the Father, but it is of this world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Somebody say amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that it would be quick tonight. I pray that it would be powerful. I pray, God, that we would be encouraged that one day we are going to fly away. We're leaving this old world. And we're going to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray you anoint the lips of your servant tonight and the ears of your people to receive with meekness the engrafted word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Now in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we find the diff there's a difference made between the world... Everybody say the world. And the things that are in the world. Now the scripture says through the apostle John that if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father. And then it goes on to say that all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. Everything that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. Everything. Would you say everything? Now, when that scripture starts and says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, then it makes a statement a few sentences later that all that is in the world is of the world. That's a pretty broad brush. That says don't love anything of the world or in the world. That's a big statement. In John chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, I mentioned it, preached about it a few weeks ago, when Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, 
if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, Jesus is saying judgment is going to be passed on this world, and it happens now in John chapter 12. He tells us when that now is. It's when he's lifted up from the earth. We know that's at Calvary. (laughs) He contrasts what happens to the world and what happens to him. He says judgment is coming on this world and everything that's in the world and everything that is of the world. And the Bible tells us that he says, But I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. Now, What we draw from that is that judgment has already passed upon this world. Somebody say amen. And not only is judgment passed upon this world, but it's passed on the things of this world. In fact, 1 John 3.17 calls the things of this world the world's goods. Matthew tells us in Matthew 16, 26, that Jesus said, If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have you profited? 1 Corinthians 7 says that though there are those that use the world. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, it says there is a spirit of the world. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says there is wisdom of this world. And 1 Corinthians 7 says there is fashion of this world. Titus chapter 2 tells us there are worldly lusts. 2 Peter chapter 1 says there is corruption that is in this world. 2 Peter 2 says there are defilements in this world. And 1 John 2 says the world is dying or passing away. And then it says in James 1.27, keep yourselves unspotted from this world. If the world's dying, the Lord tells his people stay away from this world. Because this world is dying. Somebody say amen. Now since the day Adam sinned, the world has shown itself to be hostile or at war with God. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us the world knew not God. John 15 says the world hated Jesus. John 14 says the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. 1 John 5 says its works are evil. In fact, John wrote that the whole world lieth in the evil one. Listen to that. The whole world lies in the evil one. That's a big statement. What about our jobs? What about politics? What about education? What about food? What about work? Ephesians 6 says there are world rulers of this darkness. And scripture gives us an understanding of the world around us when it says love not the world neither the things that are in the world. I am in the world but I am not of this world. I need to set my affections on something higher than this world. I need to keep looking at something that's bigger than this world, that's more blessed than this world. Somebody say amen. Now, unless God would give us the ability tonight, and I pray he does, that we look at the unseen powers behind the material things of this world, and if we cannot see them, it's possible that we would be deceived. Somebody say amen. Now what began this burning thing in me is a scripture that says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now when we think about that, we think in terms of God saying it repented, it repented him that he even made man because sin was such at a rampant pace that God said, I'm going to wipe man up off the face of the earth. But the Bible tells us what was going on in Noah's day. You ready for it? It says they were marrying, they were giving in marriage, and they were eating and they were drinking. Not a word in there about sexual immorality, not a word in there about homosexuality, not a word in there about fornication or adultery, not a word in there about idolatry, not a word in there about humanism, not a word in there about pantheism, and the list goes on and on. It says they were marrying, they were given in marriage, and they were eating, and they were drinking. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting married. Can I get a witness? (laughs) 
And surely there's not anything wrong with eating and drinking. Can I get a witness? But the Bible tells us that in the days of Noah, people were so caught up with life. They were just caught up with this world. He, he didn't list a bunch of sins. He just listed people getting so busy with this world, they forgot about God. Now, I don't know about you, but that can happen in this hour. That can happen right now. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Peter describes the power behind the material things of this world and he uses some strange things. He says, don't let your outward adorning, and the word, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, don't let your outward, the word is cosmos. In other words, don't let your outer world be about plaiting your hair and wearing nice clothes and gold and putting on of apparel. But let your inner world be where you focus. See, this is the point. And if we're not careful, we'll get distracted with the outer world. Everybody all right? There, there are actually people sitting under the sound of my voice that are very concerned about people's outer world, their outer cosmos. But Peter said, listen, these things are of the world. He said, you need to be concerned with that inner world, that incorruptible apparel of a meek and a quiet spirit. Be sure you're putting something on the inside. Come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord. So in life, so in this life, we must be prepared to ask ourselves, not, is this going to send me to hell? And this is what everybody wants to know. Pastor, what's wrong with this? Is this going to send me to hell? But maybe not. that's not the right question. Maybe the right question is, is this of the world or is this of God? And if it's of the world, it is dying Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Now, we do believe that sinful things are satanic. In fact, the Lord said, if you sin, you have a daddy. Who's your daddy? The Bible says, if you sin, your father is the devil. Make no mistake about it. Sin is not just a mistake. Sin comes from an origin. And you have a father, and it's the devil. But what about the things of the world? We're not now talking about sin. We're talking about things. Turn to your neighbor and say things. Jesus' statement clearly states that all of this world is out of line with God's purpose. All that makes up this cosmos or this world is already condemned and already under judgment. This is pretty simple to answer if we do not go any deeper. In fact, if we think about this and a preacher gets up to preach about worldliness, we start preaching about the club scene and the drug scene and the moral darkness that's in our world today. And they are uh, definitely sinful things going on in this world. But there is, and in every child of God, there is something that says, I want to stay away from the darkness of sin. But what about the things of this world? Can we honestly say that if we touch the things of this world, that we are actually involved in dealing or handling the prince of this world? For all that is of the world is in the enemy of your soul. In fact, the Bible tells us, John said, the whole world lieth in the evil one. So how can I touch things and not realize that I'm handling some dangerous environments not part of the world but the whole world lieth in the evil one love not the world neither the things that are in the world so I understand tonight that the things of the world are all in one sense material lifeless neutral uh, we could call them intrinsically without any power to harm us. And yet, that su should suggest to us that they are resistant to the purpose of God. And that simply means that everything that does not have the touch of divine life 
Everything that does not have the touch of God upon it is resistant to God. Everybody okay? 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, bear with me as I hurry for just a moment. There's a reoccurring phrase in Genesis chapter 1, and it keeps stating it. Moses, the writer, says, after its kind, and he makes that statement over and over about birds and animals and even human beings, after its kind. Things reproduce after its kind. It's a law of reproduction that governs the entire biological nature of this world. But that law does not govern the realm of spiritual things. Everything reproduces after its kind, but spiritual things do not reproduce after. I want you to think about it. From generation to generation, human parents begat children after their kind. They are genetically connected to their parents. But one thing is certain, Christians do not beget Christians. I'm going to say that again. You can't just have a baby and make that baby a spiritual individual. You can't be born of God just by being born in a certain family. Kind reproduces after its kind in every area except spirituality. Not even where both parents serve God are children guaranteed to be godly children. Not even the first generation. I'm not talking about your grandkids or your great-grandkids. Adam and Eve realized how quick sin can go in a downward spiral. Their own son was a murderer. And the Bible tells us that kind reproduces after its kind. What that means is if anything's going to be born of God, it takes a fresh act of God every time. Every time, just because your kids are raised in a church doesn't mean they're born of God. No, they're born of this world. But if you're going to be born of God, you must be born again. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord right now. Some parent says, well, I took my boy to church. I want to tell you, taking your boy to church, that's fine and good. But in reality, I want to tell you what, songs don't save people. Worship doesn't save people. Being in the right building doesn't save people. Getting somebody groceries doesn't save people. It takes an act of God to take a stony heart. Somebody clap your hands under the Lord. For every individual in every generation. Well, I'm going to make a difference in their life. Hey, I want you to learn something really quick tonight. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are not the Savior. Well, I'm going to make a difference. Oh, no. You know, the only one that can make a difference is Jesus Christ. For every individual in every generation, for them to be born from above, it's going to take an act of God. For them to overcome the world, it's going to take an act of God. For them to live a life of faith, it's going to take an act of God. For them to be victorious, it's going to take an act of God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, just coming to church is not enough. It takes a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in every service. I can't go a day without a fresh act of God in my life because if I'm not careful, I'll start getting a hold of the things of this world. I need a fresh act of God in my life. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. This is what bugs me about saints of God that's lived for God longer than I've been alive. And they think, well, I had an act of God 30 years ago when I got the Holy Ghost. You need a fresh act of God every day in your life. For you to overcome temptation, you got to do more than go to church. You need a fresh act of God in your life. For them to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, it's going to take a fresh act of God. We need it. It's what makes the church different. All that belongs to human nature continues spontaneously 
everything in the human realm continues spontaneously. In fact, the Bible says sins can be visited to four generations. All that belongs to the human nature continues spontaneously without a move of God at all. Children are being born right now without a move of God at all. Kind is reproducing after its kind. But if somebody's born again, it's going to take a move of God. That's what makes the carnal world and the spiritual world at odds. You don't have to do anything for kind to reproduce kind. It doesn't take anything. Have you ever noticed that, that, that it's the same in a church that kind reproduces kind? Have you ever noticed that when there's a majority of the people that's wore out and tired, well, you know, somebody says, well, I kind of want to worship God, but, but I feel like somebody's going to, you know, jump if I say amen man tonight and so that we just kind of get real quiet or, or but oh it just takes one person that says oh no I, I'm not going to let kind reproduce after it's kind I'm not going to let in this environment I'm not going to let this opportunity slip me by and they begin to worship God and all of a sudden something begins to happen spiritually somebody say amen nothing it happens unless there is a fresh act of God the world and all that's in the world is dying even everything the world has produced and reproduced in fact you're dying you're dying every one of you everything the world has produced everything of the world everything that's that's in the world and everything that is of the world is dying Everything that's worldly is dying. Is everybody okay? This is why it's so important to take every opportunity we have when we come to church. This is where we get a hold of life. Somebody say amen. And the dying world, everybody say this dying world, it dies naturally. It's in its nature. You can't stop it. I don't care how many human growth hormones you take. You can be 80 years old and still have a six-pack in your refrigerator. You've seen, I've been flying on airplanes and, you know, you flying on airplanes. Boy, that's that's a revelation. You get that magazine, you start looking through it, and, and they've got the bald-headed guy that looks like he's about 70 years old and he looks like they pasted his head on a 21-year-old bodybuilder's body. You too can have this body taking this human growth hormone and you can be 70 years old and still feel like a 21-year-old. Now who would want that? Who would want that? (laughs) I don't care how much of that stuff you take. This world is dying, and it's dying in its very nature. Death is in its nature. Am I okay? The world and all that is in the world is moving away from God. In fact, the Bible says it is not of the Father. The things of this world are moving away from God. That's why you're getting stretched out of proportion when you try to love the world and love God. The world is moving away from God. It is not of the Father. It moves in a direction that is contrary to the will of God. Now, I've got just a few examples for you tonight. Let's, let's and I, I hurry. Uh, I've got just a few examples for you. Now, I'm not talking about the club. I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol and worldliness I'm talking about now the things the things everybody say the things let's talk about stuff let's talk about politics let's talk about politics you know from Israel's history what happens when Israel wants to change their political structure to be like other nations A kingdom is a worldly thing. 
I'm glad to be an American where at least I know I'm free. That's about all we know. We're not sure how free we are. Hello? We, we, could, we could say a lot of things right here. But even in the good old USA, the good old USA is a worldly thing. And in keeping with all worldly things, politics tends to come into a collision course with the divine purpose of God. Have you noticed that? Have you taken a tour through Washington, D.C.? Have you seen the references to God in our history? Those references are fewer and fewer. Why? Because all worldly things are moving away from God. Pray all you will. And I thank God for this nation. And I thank God for her purpose to be a propagator of the gospel around the world. But make no mistake about it. All the kingdoms of this world are coming down. Daniel saw it. He said, I saw a stone hewn out of the mountain and it hit the image in its feet and that image fell. I want you to know the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall... Oh. Yeah. Everything... Listen. Wherever in the world a nation's government is left to itself, it follows the natural course which is further and further away from God. Whenever God discontinued his specific acts on Israel's behalf, it happened in Israel. Israel drifted into idolatry. There were recoveries for them and revival. This is true. But every one of them was marked by a definite divine intervention or an act of God. Without that act of God, the trend is always into darkness. This is why we better pray for our nation. This is why we better pray for our world. Because without a divine intervention, this world's on a downhill run. Let's talk about commerce, trade, Wall Street. There's no sphere where the temptation to be dishonest is so great as in the area of commerce. Business. Everybody okay? Everybody say the things of this world. We all, we all know how hard it is to conduct affairs honestly in the competitive world of trade. In fact, many people say it's impossible. Let's talk about the world of agriculture. Genesis has something to tell us about that. It says, after Adam's fall... God was compelled to say to him, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In toil shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground. Farming and gardening were God's idea. Is everybody okay? I'm going to get Dean and Ben back up here if you guys don't wake up now. Farming and gardening were God appointed. But as soon as it was let go from under the hand of God, you know what happened? It began to deteriorate. And just let the Think about You say, well, I'm not sure about all that. Okay, well, let me just have you do a little. Some of you may be doing this already. Just let your yard or your garden, let it go for about three weeks. What's going to happen to it? It's going to deteriorate. The grass is going to get high. There's going to be a vine start up the side of your house and then get in the inside of your siding and start going up the inside of your house. Your roof's going to start leaking. Your car's going to break down. Everything in this world is dying. I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm talking about things. And when you get so distracted by the things, I'm not talking about you going to the honky-tonk. I'm talking about you putting more importance on your work than being in the house of God. 
No, you're not hearing me, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you love the things of this world, it's going to perish. Oh, I got three hand claps. That's okay. My, my, my. Well, brother, listen, just let the ground follow its natural tendency, and it'll show you whether it's blessed or it's cursed. It's cursed. Everything in this world is cursed with a curse. So when we handle it, we better be careful we know what we're handling. That we don't get so caught up saying, well, this is not a sin. It's not a sin to work. In fact, the Bible says I need to work. Yeah, but your work can become an idol. And it's deteriorating. And it can keep you out of the things of God if you're not careful. Pastor's preaching tonight. Love not the world. Oh, amen, pastor. But what about the things of the world? Let's talk about your education. Let's talk about how much you know, how smart you are. God rejected Saul and chose David. You remember that, don't you? Speaking allegorically, you may say that in rejecting Saul, God was passing over a man distinguished by his head in favor for a man distinguished by his heart. I'm going to say that again. God rejected a man that was known for what was on his head. And he chose a man that had the right heart. Well, I know more than everybody here. I know no more Bible than the preacher, and you may. And I know more about God. Listen, God will reject you if all you're known for is your head. I've seen people can think God out of the room, but they've never moved emotionally with God. I've never seen their heart engaged. God made public the wisdom of men like Joseph and Moses and Daniel. Do you remember those guys? Each one of them received their wisdom from God himself. They took little account of their secular education. In fact, Paul clearly placed scholarship among all the things that he listed that he counted as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, I'm putting my education on the altar. Think about the historic colleges and universities. Come on, Sister Sherry. And let's sing that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what will happen in the things of this world will begin to grow strangely dim. I've never felt it as strongly as I feel it now. I told people walking up the middle aisle tonight, you need to get ready because the Lord's coming back very soon. This world is losing its sparkle. <laughs> I, Think about the historic colleges and universities that began by godly men with a desire to educate young men and women in the work for God. In fact, just about every school that makes up what we call today the Ivy League, the Ivy League, these are the big shot colleges. Anybody know one school in the Ivy League? Harvard. Anybody know any more? Princeton. Yale. Yell it out to me. Yeah. Yeah. The Ivy League was started by God-fearing men. Every one of those schools was started, listen, to train ministers. Harvard, Yale, <clears throat> which I've been doing a lot of, and I'm about to lose my voice. And if I lose my voice, I ain't preaching no more, just so you know that. So I need my voice. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Dartmouth, Columbia, William and Mary, Rutgers, Brown, and the University of Pennsylvania. Let's talk about Harvard. Harvard just a few weeks ago changed their gender policy. This school that began to train ministers now tells their students you can change your gender every day. 
You can be a boy today and a girl tomorrow. Let me tell you about Harvard's story. In brief, it's etched in the very entryway to what they call Harvard Yard. It's etched in the stone. I want to read it. Here's what it says. After God had carried us safely to New England and we built our houses, provided necessaries for our livelihood, and reared convenient places for God's worship and settled the civil government, one of the next things we longed for and looked after was to advance learning and to perpetuate that learning to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministers shall lie in the dust. Did you get that? Harvard said, we started this school to train preachers that when our present preachers die, there'll be men ready to pastor churches. That's why Harvard started. This is proof positive that anything that doesn't have a continual fresh move of God in it. No, you're not hearing me. Even the United States of America and this church, if we don't have a fresh move of God, it goes downhill. I don't know about you, but I want revival. I want the move of the Spirit. I want the Holy Ghost operating in this church. Because without it, we'll get worldly. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Let me share with you now what it took to be a student at Harvard. You worried about your GPA? No. Listen to this. The rules and precepts adopted for Harvard students. Listen to this, and I quote, Everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Seeing the Lord giveth wisdom, everyone shall seriously by prayer in secret seek wisdom of Him. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the Scriptures twice a day that they be ready to give an account of their proficiency therein, both in theoretical observations of languages and logic and in practice and spiritual truths. Listen to that. If you're going to come here, you better be ready to seek God and read your Bible twice a day. Without a fresh move of God, that happens to everything. hear what I said. It, I don't care how secure you feel sitting on that pew saying to me, preacher, I talked in tongues 35 years ago. I'm telling you that if you don't have a fresh move of God, you will degenerate into worldliness. You'll start wondering what's wrong with homosexuality. You'll start wondering what's wrong with drugs and addictions and alcohol. You'll start thinking nothing's wrong anymore. Why? Because the world has a hold of you. That's why. My old pastor's wife used to say, you just need a good old praying through. I thought I needed counseling. I thought I needed a weekly counseling session with the pastor and lo and behold he told me no you just need a few minutes in the altars what you need because anything that doesn't have a fresh move of God on it is going to start moving toward worldliness in fact let's think about revivals in church history I'm closing. Let's let's think about revivals in church history. Let's talk about the old Methodist revivals. The Wesleyan revivals. John Wesley. Isn't it strange to you that every one of those outpourings, even the one that began 
the, the current day Pentecostal movement. Isn't it amazing to you that every one of them happened in what was termed a holiness movement? It happened when people said to themselves, we're tired of growing dim and growing worldly. We're getting too associated with this world. And they began to pray and ask God to revive them. And a sovereign move of God happened. And every one of them happened because people were drawing away from the world. Think about it. Everything. Everything that does not have the touch of God on it drifts away. It's moving into darkness. It's got death written on it. The world and the things of this world. But I got some encouragement for you tonight. Not so with the church of the living God. That went over good, didn't it? I said, everything in this world is in a downward spiral. I got good news for you tonight. It's not that way in the church. And you're in the wrong church if you think this pastor's not going to get up here and say, don't you eat on the dead things of this world. It'll kill you. I'm here to raise you up for you to realize you're at the very door of life. You're in the best place you can be. This is where the light is. This is where the power is. I'm glad to be in the church. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Turn your eyes on Jesus. By God's grace, the church possesses an inherent life power capable of constantly keeping her moving Godward. We're not careful and we get so wore out at work and we come to church and we don't realize that we are sitting in heavenly places. This is the place that we're moving upward. We're moving onward. Somebody say amen. Church never ceases to be dependent on the life of God for its maintenance. It's the thing that maintains the church. It's the power of God. And if the church follows the Lord, as generations go on and on, she's filled with more power and more light as generations go by. The Bible tells us the truth endures to all generations. If the church keeps her hand in the hand of the Lord, it's not going to go down with this world. That's right. She's full of power. She's full of light. Where sin doth abound, grace much more abounds. That's in the church. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm in the church. There's a lot of condemnation out there and people are killing each other for their mistakes. But in the church, this is where grace is. Amazing grace. This is where I get a new start. This is where I get off the road to hell and I get on the highway to heaven. Oh yes. You remember that old song? We're not going to sing it. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but we're all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. I'm glad to be a part of a heavenly kingdom. I got more to go to heaven for today than I did 10 years ago. I heard somebody say to me today, Brother Gene, I don't care if the Lord comes today. I got nothing holding me here. I'm ready to go. I'm tired of this old world. Listen, if you got stuff going on here that's going to keep you scheduled, you better get your schedule free because nothing's more important than being ready when the trumpet sounds. Get us out. I'm ready to go.
and Bill Gaither once penned a song and in that song there was an interlude and I like it and it went like this God has always had a people many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight that he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life but God has always had a people The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. Now the purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has forced its way through the solid rock. There have been those who, like Simon the magician, sought to barter on the open market that power which cannot be bought nor sold, but God has always had a people. Men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase. God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted into oblivion by those who have been near by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. But God has always had a people. Yes, it's been gold-plated, draped in purple, and encrusted with jewels. It's been misrepresented, ridiculed, laughed at, and scorned. But God has always had a. I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it well. I could care less if the world stickers about my modesty and stickers about my social position. I'm here to please God and I'm here to stay away from this world. I'm not of this world. I was not born of this world. I was born of the Spirit. Dottie Rambo wrote the song. It's the old ship of Zion. Come on now. It's hope for the lost and the dying. It's a soul-saving station. Yes, Lord, the tower of salvation. It's the church triumphant, O oh Lord. And it's built by the hand of the Lord. I'm talking about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built on the rock and it's got a firm foundation. It's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. But one of these days, friend, this church is going to move up high. It's the church. It's the church. Somebody get up on your feet and give God praise tonight. Come on. I'm glad to be in the church. It's the church triumphant. It's been through the storm, but the wind couldn't turn it. It's been through the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. It's been fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. It's been through wars, but it's never been defeated. Oh, it's the church. So I don't know about you. I'm not going to go to work this week and give it my best and come sleep through service on Sunday. Oh no, because my job and my my business and my education and my political position, it's all going down, but the church is going up. So what I'm saying to you tonight is don't love the world, and we all know that, but don't love the things of this world. You wanna do a little check? You want to do a little check about where your love is? Check your checkbook. Jesus said it. If you find a man's treasure, you find his heart. And I'm just going to speak for myself right now. I find it difficult when my fishing budget outweighs my missionary giving. Boy, it gets really quiet when you start talking about fishing, doesn't it? I like to fish. I get real nervous when my hobbies start outweighing my giving to this church. Oh, I'm getting in your pocketbook now. 
Now I'm talking about the things that not, are not intrinsically wrong or sinful, but they are the things of this world. And you say you don't love them, but I want you to think about the time you invest in them. We got two guys right here that 50 nursing homes they go see in. You know we have a bus that goes and picks up nursing home people to bring them to this church. Do you know that? Do you know that the driver of that said bus had pneumonia for three weeks? Do you know who went and got those nursing home people? Nobody. Did you hear what your pastor just said? I'm not talking about a church that's getting worldly. I'm talking to a church that's starting to love the things of this world. They're too busy. Too busy with what? All the stuff that's dying? All the stuff that's perishing? All the stuff your family's going to fight over when they stand at the casket? I'm not telling you things are bad, but I'm telling you Jesus said don't love the world nor the things in it. How many know your work's a thing? And the Lord said if you don't work, you don't eat. But what he's saying is, listen, don't you dare replace your love for me and my kingdom with love for things. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? I'm talking to good saints of God. And I was sitting up here behind this wall on Monday night and the spirit of, of weeping got a hold of me. My heart got broken because there are elders standing in this room tonight that if they hadn't walked in and brought their entire paycheck and dropped it in the offering plate, this church wouldn't be standing here right now. They didn't know how they were going to eat, pay their bills. And I began to pray, God, we need another generation like that that will say, Lord, we're not so concerned with the things of this world. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? My agenda doesn't matter anymore. The things of this world aren't nearly as important. So just examine, just examine in your life. What's got your worry? What gets your dander up? What gets you depressed and what gets you discouraged? It's probably when you think you don't have enough money to go do the things you want to do. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I'm talking to young people that'll spend 20 and 30 and $40 on a game. And they hadn't dropped that much in the offering plate since they've been at this church. I'm talking to you. What do you love? What's got your attention? What's important? You know what? Things grow dim when I get in the presence of the Lord. When I entertain the Lord for a little while, some of that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. Oh, Brother Gene, are you saying the game's going to send me to hell? No, but I'm telling you this, your love for it will. Because that stuff's dying. Somebody say amen. Well, maybe we ought to have Dean and Ben come back up and cheer, cheer you up tonight. I pray you feel challenged tonight because I'm challenged. We're in a church that believes they ought to be separate from this world. But friend, if we're not careful, we'll get so enamored with the things of this world. we've already seen tonight the things of this world are opposed to God everything in the world has got a sentence of death on it somebody say amen oh let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now Jesus I thank you Lord that I'm a part of the church of the living God I thank you Lord for your intervention in my life I'm here because of a fresh act of God I'm here tonight because the power of the world was broken
I'm here because the power of the world was broken in my life. Hallelujah. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's a battle that we face every day, so the battle's not over, even though I'm going to draw a personal reference to one that I fought years ago in the carpet of my grandfather's study where I had it out with God. I had my life already planned, and I had the things I wanted to do, and God changed all that. I want to tell you that in that moment, the power of the world was broken. didn't matter where he sent me or what he did with me. I said, Lord, I want you to use me for your kingdom. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? So there's a point in our lives when the power of the world must be broken and we no longer love it. We no longer love it. What are you getting at, preacher? I'm getting at this. Listen, I want to tell you why Lester Halterman, I want to tell you why he will tell you that in one night God broke addiction in his life. You know why? Because he began to hate it. He realized it was going to kill him. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to live this way anymore. But you know what? Now we got people that want to continue to love the things of this world. And love God too. You can't repent unless you hate something. You can't say, Lord, if you'll help me with this, I think I can make it. No. You know what works repentance? Godly sorrow. That means I can't stand what I've been doing. And until what you've been doing makes you sick, you'll never repent. It's when you say, I've had enough of this world. I've had enough of death in my life. I'm ready for something new. I need life. And when you begin to hate the world and the things in this world, you begin to realize there's more to go to heaven for than I have in this world. Tired of it. Sick of it. The world sees that. You know, the world understands that, don't you? In fact, if you're addicted to narcotics or opioids or alcohol, they can give you medication that'll make you sick. Why? Because they know if they can get you sick, you drink that again, it's going to make you deathly ill. If you snort that again, it's going to make you deathly ill. You know why? Because if you get sick enough... God, let this be a church where there's some old-fashioned repentance. Where people say, Pastor, I'm tired of the way I'm living. I'm sick. I'm so sick. I'm tired of, of sin. I'm sick of the way I've been living. And I want God to touch me. Hey, I want to tell you, something happens when that takes place. Everybody okay? Reach over and connect with somebody beside you right now. I want you to pray for those that are to your left and to your right. I want you to pray, God, touch us right now. Help us right now. Help us right now. Help us go home and look at our checkbook and find out what we've been spending our, our evil mammon for. Help us not to fool ourselves. And come to church and clap our hands and feel good for a few minutes. But our entire world is eaten up with the things of this earth. God help us. Lord, you're drunk. Praise the Lord. I'm closing with this. It was yesterday I heard the Holy Ghost say to me, as I was thinking about the world to come, and as old President Reagan said it, one day we're going to loose the surly bonds of earth. Now, Benny said a little different. He said Once, one day these feet are going to leave the ground, so it's the same thing. 
one day gravity's going to lose its hold and we're getting out of here and I was thinking about that and in prayer Monday night thinking about those who have gone on to be with the Lord and then Tuesday early in the morning I heard the Holy Ghost say to me my people are gathering my people are gathering and all of a sudden I felt as it were God's people from all over the world were shaking themselves and getting loosed of things and dropping things that were important and they were beginning to lift their eyes and look to another world and the Holy Ghost said my people are gathering I want to tell you what the eagles are gathering they're getting ready to take a trip I don't want anybody standing here to be left behind. So you better count the cost. It's leaving time. And everything you think's important is going down. And everything that's of God is going to endure. So I don't want to love the world. Nor the things that are in the world. Somebody say amen.